Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey everybody, this is Zane. It's time for another conversation right here on the Zane Lowe interview series. Really appreciate you taking the time to either subscribe or add a review or just listen to any of these conversations that we're having. So Marilyn Manson, just say the name to people who don't even necessarily know his music and it will conjure up some kind of impression, some kind of reaction. And most of the time that reaction is visceral. Uh, He's not the kind of individual who sort of meanders through life. He has been one of the most divisive and interesting figures in the world of music in the last 25 years. And often that world has blurred into areas of politics, religion, morality. These are all words that are closely associated with Marilyn Manson. But who is he really? Outside of the person that you either love or revile, who is Brian Warner? Who is Marilyn Manson? What is the connection between the two? I've talked to Manson many times over the years, but I've never been so close to that connection as in this conversation, whether it's to do with the loss of his parents and a better understanding about the concept of mortality, whether it's him reaching a certain point in his life where the idea of immersing himself in the chaos is less rewarding than trying to find a way out. We find Marilyn Manson at a moment in his life where he's made his most reflective album, We Are Chaos, not I Am Chaos, We Are Chaos, and he's ready to talk about it through the nuances and the details, not just the headlines. It's the thing about Manson, he's been headlines for so long, what happens when you go behind them? Let's find out. Hope you enjoyed this. This is my latest conversation with the one and only Marilyn Manson right here on Apple Podcasts. I want to hear you loud. I want to hear that beautiful voice of yours. Your beautiful New Zealand accent. Oh, yeah. Wait, too, too, too loud. He asked if he could turn me up just so he could say too loud. It was all just so he could. No, it wasn't. It was, all, it was laddering up to that one moment. I'm literally by one, what, by this ear, right? This one? I don't know what side it's on for you. It's still clogged with uh, fluid from shooting a video that I just did last weekend, I told you I was gonna do. Which song was it? I shot a video for Don't Chase the Dead with uh, Norman Reedus uh, from Walking Dead. That, that is my second favorite song on the album. Oh, thank you. Right now. What's your verse? Right now. Broken Needle. I appreciate that. What is the last sentence on the album? Are you quizzing me? I'll never ever play you again. So it's a bit of a play on words in that comparing a relationship to some, to an LP, in a sense, and putting it away after it's scratched up and not wanting to hear that memory again. So I just started thinking about, or at least a year and a half before the pandemic happened, that it was about evaluate for me evaluating my own mental health and what I wanted to say, not knowing what would come, but the idea of sometimes there's things that have happened in the past. You have to forget about the who you were. Think about who you want to be. Not to sound like a motivational speaker, but just thinking about the past, you know, were there sad points, were there strong points? What did you feel? There was never, no one's ever had an idyllic upbringing. If you had, you probably would. We wouldn't have this conversation right now. Yeah. It'd be boring. I mean, because it's almost the sense of all of the kids in school, at least from my opinion, the ones that got picked on had to try harder to be creative. So the ones that had everything handed to them didn't try harder. And they end up being the bullies. And we're in a bully culture. 
where it's like names and and blames, and it, we just need to move past all that at this point. But a lot of that was going through my head. I wrote that song, and on the LP itself, sorry if this is a spoiler alert, a lot of people have received the LP already. It just stays. It gets stuck on that last song until you take the needle off. So it continuously plays in perpetuity until you remove it. So that leads me to the, my next question, which is how does Shooter Jennings, who is the only son of Waylon Jennings, an original modern out, you know, country music outlaw, and the Antichrist superstar, who for the longest time seems to have reveled in the chaos upon which you talk on this album, make an album that is the easily the deepest, most personal, reflective album you've ever made in your entire career, and one that seems to me is searching for a pathway through to inspire rather than to light the flame to set the chaos into motion. That's what I get from it. Thank you. Sometimes the, you need the fire to burn things down metaphorically to build them back up. So there's that element. But I don't think that we really were considering that so much is that we wanted to make something that was, while we were listening to Diamond Dogs and other records that were, and Shooter was inspired by Antichrist Superstar. And I did not know that. And I was inspired by Black Ribbons, his album, not knowing each other still. When we got together, it just sort of amounted into this. It, it can't be only the lyrics. It has to do a lot with the melodies in which he evokes and sometimes conjured me to come up with lines or melodies. And then sometimes, you know, they would feed off one another. But we didn't expect it to be quite of the moment that it is right now. But I think it's, I wanted to make a record that was always of the moment where it's, yeah. We've, have you, can you ever think of an idyllic time that's ever been really happened in life? There's never really been a true perfect era for anyone. So this is a bad time for everyone, but it's not any worse than what I grew up hearing my father talk about with the Vietnam War. And that's just my own personal experience. Everyone has had their own their own rough and their own way of interpreting the world where it's none of it's going to ever be perfect. But I think if one way you could look at it, if all artists decide to stop making art, the entire world will fall apart. It remains one of the only pure filters right now, especially, and I've spoken to this uh, to this end with a few people about the, the voice of the artist and the fact that it, if you choose to put a record out right now, and, and, and even back in the day, there may have been an influencing factor from a label saying, this is too much, we can't, there are, pay, there are people who are paying out what wages who don't want this. You've been on the receiving end of those conversations, I know you have. But you can yeah. do it yourself now. You're in a position whereby you can find the purest filter in order to express yourself. And, and more than ever before, we need that. Well, not just musical artists. When you think about it, architects, uh, painters, uh, clothing designers, what you do, everybody who does something that adds to the world is the opposite of most politics and religion, which was my initial, I guess, hard on or anger against the world because I was unsatisfied with seeing politicians who are older people that, and that's not about because they're older, it's just 
people that are not of the culture they're representing. There's an institutionalization that comes from that thinking over time. And I suppose two questions bring to mind. I'll start with the first one. Um, do you feel proven right then if you arrived with something to say based on those two touch points, you know, politics and religion, that's who I'm up against right now. And then take right. a look at where we are in society and what is occupying a lot of the debate and causing a lot of the disruption. Do you feel to some degree like you're on the right path and you've been proven correct? Well, I feel that being sticking to art is being on the right path because all we have right now, we have art, music, movies, that's, that's, and books and paintings and whatever it is that inspires you. But without that, all we have is just propaganda and bullshit. And it doesn't really matter who's right or who's wrong. It's not even worth having a conversation about. But it's the conversation should be about everyone should figure out who they want to be, not who they were. And forget about your childhood scars, mentally, you know, physically, whatever they are, and rise above. Because now is the time for people to come together and not in a hippie way as much as in a united way with art because if you didn't have art you wouldn't have anything we wouldn't have this we wouldn't have this camera that's filming us we wouldn't have the couch you're sitting on but for the longest time i think if you asked anybody about marilyn manson even people who weren't necessarily big fans of yours but aware of your presence because yeah. you have a strong presence then you'd ask is marilyn manson the kind of person who's trying to build people up and build up a strong foundation upon which to better understand each other or is he trying to tear it down you know what the answer would have been now would they have been right back then or has everyone got you wrong the whole time if they could, would have been right back then, we wouldn't be here now, probably. <laughs> Essentially, because I was saying, I could just say the same thing now. If you went back and rewind and listen to Antichrist Superstar, it, it, could, it could translate in some ways. There's things that were said in 1984 that could translate to right now because the world doesn't always change. It is a time, it's a flat circle. And things come back to themselves. But mostly, I had joy making this record, which sounds very unlike what you'd expect for me to say. But I don't know if joy is the correct word. I always thought you had joy in making your music. <laughs> I enjoy taking the piss out of people, too. You know, I enjoy fucking shit. I enjoy being against the grain. You know, and I'm not trying to be some sort of uh, hero or someone who's trying to help others. I'm just trying to relate in the same way I did from the beginning to other people like me or anyone who, anyone who's not a, like, I'm not trying to be a pop artist that writes songs to uplift people for the, their own benefit, which is usually self-serving and not name any names or anything like that, but just throughout history, like we are the world and things like that. Whatever, if those things accomplish something, that's not even an example. But just, I'm trying to make songs that people that I think are like me could potentially benefit from just by listening to. 
You talked about getting to a place where you can you can look to your future and you can build yourself the person you want to be and not be tied to who you were and what you've done in the past. When people come to that realization, normally what follows is that there's a need to do the work, right? And established ways people do that are like therapy or um, they get clean, they go to rehab, they do whatever they need to do in order to try to clear a roadmap for them to make a future and not be stuck as a broken needle on the record. How did you yeah. get to that place where you could make this album? Because there's a lot, I'm sure, that's that's tucked away. Was this a follow-on from your last album and from the process of losing a parent and losing your father? I think mortality obviously sets in when you lose both your parents, you know, within a short period of time, which everyone has to go through. It sucks, and I'm for everyone who's going to experience that, which eventually everyone has to, unless some sort of science fiction process happens. It makes you question who your family is. It makes you make sometimes foolish decisions about trusting people because you're, uh, 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 your heart's wide open. When making this record with Shooter, because we both lost our fathers, and we bonded over that, in a sense, and... Uh, his father was musical outlaw, as you said. My father was, you know, also in his own right, real asshole, but outlaw, you know. I mean, he was, yeah. he did not play by the rules, you know, but, but he raised me to be who I am. And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm, you know, it just sometimes you miss your, you miss your lost ones. But I tried to put that into the music, and I tried to make this record also a story that's not just about me. It's about, I mean, ideally, if I could have made a book of it, it would just be mirrors for pages, literally, so that you could just see your own story in it. And, uh, you know, starting out with the intro, I think it, it was meant to set a tone. That was prose that I wrote on the moment, I had it in my head, but it was on the moment. I wanted it to introduce the record so that it would sort of, in any great movie or TV show or book or play or... Well, I was going to ask, if that was a scene, how would you direct it? What would that scene look like? It would look like it sounds... It would just... I don't even think it needs a visual. I, I think just listening to it... Uh, and it's surprising because a lot of people say to me when they hear it, they say there's no such thing as a King Bee. <laughs> and I say, well, there is now. <laughs> because it's, you know, it's I'm a writer, so I'm allowed to take as many liberties as I want when it comes to making up new words, new ideas. Set fire to the tree of life, though, right? Is that is that a reflection of mortality as well? I think so, yeah. I, I buried my parents' ashes in a tree so that it would grow. It's a dogwood tree, which is, uh, I guess, mythology mythology dictates or Christian mythology that that's the it's a tree that I had growing up and it has these white flowers that have blood sort of stains almost pink in the center and my mother always told me it was in my backyard that it was meant to represent the stigmata of Christ I don't know if that's true but I just thought that that was the best tree to plant and to, that, to put my parents' remains there so that they would always be, and they'd grow into something. So it's that cycle of life. 
Is there a spiritual reason for that as well as returning to the earth? Is there, is there, has it awakened a different side of your spirituality going, getting to this place? Spiritual in that I believe that there's far more evil in the world than what people consider me to be, which is not a very obvious statement. Anyone could make that observation, but you know, I've been blamed for so many wrongdoings that had nothing to do with me, but as far as sin and accountability and things like that, which I grew up in Christian schools, so the natural order would be for my brain to rebel against it. And instead, I think that I didn't embrace it. This is not a return for me. Like I didn't somehow find religion or sobriety or something like that. I found a focus. And it was a focus on realizing my importance as a human being in the world. You have an importance for you, you know, doing this that you do, and it's your passion. This is mine, and everyone has it. It doesn't have to be the same as ours, but everyone has it. Once you find that, it kind of shuts out all of the darkness around you. And how did it feel when you lost that? How did it feel when you felt like what you were doing and, and, and making records and touring, is that when you were losing yourself and coping mechanisms and such because you weren't connecting to your purpose? Yeah, I think I was a little lost as far as I didn't know who I was, so I didn't know who to believe in when it comes to believing in yourself. So I think sometimes you really have to step back, and it's never easy, but when it comes to, especially now, this is different because now we're talking this way as opposed to how we have talked when we met, you know, 20 years ago. You know, it's a different culture and a different scenario that we're, that we're stuck with. So we deal with it. And that's the way that real strong people deal with things. They face the problem and they either conquer it or they suffer from it. And not everybody's strong enough. So I tried to, you know, channel my own strength to make myself capable of dealing with it because it's not, it's, it's never easy to be in a position where you don't have any control. That's the worst possible thing. Like if you have an ill parent and you can't do anything about it, you feel helpless. If you're stuck in your house and your work you can't do, you're helpless. For us, fortunately, and for me, making this record, luckily, somehow it, it was finished for the most part, far before uh, any of the pandemic hit. It was in January when we really finished it. And it was never really written about this, but it seems as if it became the moment where it was supposed to happen. And, you know, it's sad that Ozzy had to cancel his tour because he was ill. But I'd planned on spending my whole year kind of based around the concept of touring with Ozzy and uh, releasing the record. And then everything suddenly shifted. And sometimes, I don't like to use the word, works out for a reason, things happen for a reason. I think things are faded and they come together. I love it start to finish. And, and I think it's one of the best albums you've ever made, which is, Thank you. you know, you made a lot of albums. And I, and I really, I do think this is start to finish. 
some of the best words you've committed to music, and you and Shooter have found some kind of incredible chemistry where there's vulnerability and weight behind it at the same time. I want to talk more about it. I got to go back a minute and because sure. we never spoke about it and talk about the last time you tried to go out on tour um, around an album and you found yourself uh, on the receiving end of a of what turned out to be a pretty serious accident on stage, you know. And the prop came over and I watched it because I've oh, heard yeah, it happen. That was horrible. Well, a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, texted me and was like, "You should check in on Manson," and I'm like, "What happened?" And and he was like, "He he had a terrible accident on stage." So I went straight online to the news and and they had footage of it, and I sent you a text straight away. And of course, you know, you, you got did. back to me yeah. when you were conscious. Can you just talk us through that experience because those kind of situations are just horrific to witness, and and I can't imagine how it felt at the time. So I I think that uh, I was very lucky that it was about six inches from my skull. When it fell, it was not secured, and I grabbed onto this giant lighting rig, essentially, that had these two guns on it. So, I mean, if there's an argument for gun control, I'll be right there <laughs> in regards to those guns. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So I have 10 titanium pins on my leg. Right here, 10 just goes from here to here. And they're still there. They're going to be there forever. But I had to do a year and a half of rehab while on tour. I did a tour with it. And Dave Grohl and Axl Rose graciously offered their chairs. And I said, no. And I found this electric uh, wheelchair that rose up. And I, I tried to make it into part of the show. And it was, uh, it was not a fun time at all. And, but it doesn't bother me now. It's actually more of a bionic leg, and it doesn't go off at airports either. Yeah. Which is strange. Yeah. If anyone's heavy metal, it's my leg. It's full heavy metal. One of the things I think that I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to, to acknowledge is that you came out of that time, and you seem really clear-headed, and you seem really focused on your, on your craft and very present. And as someone who's struggled in the past with addiction we've seen over and over again when people get into that situation and they're and they're faced with the opportunity of painkillers or pain and yeah. i wonder kind of how you dealt with that because as someone who I didn't has, take them you didn't take them i mean i did initially for well i was in the hospital during the operation yeah. but being that i had taken them in the past which increased it to recreational use yeah i didn't want to fall prey to that so I just didn't do it. So, I mean, it hurts, but, you know. But once you, your pain receptors in your brain, it changes the way you think. All your cortisol, all the dopamine, everything in your brain, it changes. So it does give you a different perspective. I am by no means a model of sobriety, he says. But it changed you. But, it, but, but, the, but, how did the <laughs> but how did the accident change you? Cheers. Cheers. It, was, it wasn't a struggle, like, for me, where I don't get triggered, like, oh, I want to do painkillers or something like that again. Right. It's just, it clouds your brain. It clouds the part of your brain. Well, I stopped drinking absinthe as well. It clouds the frontal lobe. You know, a lot of people find it to be artistically enhancing, but it also, just, it bends your brain a bit, and sometimes in a bad way, where you are convinced that what you're doing is really great when it's just the drug telling you that. 
That's what I realized a, a while back, especially going into this record. But before that. I want to talk to you about, about your relationship with your brain. <laughs> because we, you talk about the receptors and, you, and, and you know, I'm a believer that you can obviously train your brain. You can mold yourself into moving past pain, moving past things with help. And your brain and, and the way that, you, that, that you're made up has given us incredible art and has given you a life like no other. And yet I, I wonder what your relationship is like with yourself um, aside from being Manson, the performer, the artist, and everything else, especially at this point, making an album like this, which, as you say, is striving for enough reflection to get to the next point in life, the next point of growth. So this is an album based on growth. So, okay, who who are you? You know, to yourself, like, what is your relationship like? Because there are there are times I wish I could switch that thing off completely. You mean the brain Ferris wheel that just keeps spinning in your brain? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. If, if you're a thinker of any sort, which everyone is, but if you're someone who finds it really difficult to be alone, you'll look for someone to be with you because you feel empty and you need like something to fulfill that. And that's been the past me. Or you might look for, you know, drugs or alcohol. You might look for art, which is the best way to look, but not the easiest, because I'll admit that I'm very lazy when it comes to actually getting to doing it. Not lazy, but just sometimes I just need a nudge. And Shooter was very, so enthusiastic that he would say, hey, let's do this tonight. Let's do this. Are you around? It's like 11 p.m. So I would go to his house, his studio, and we would record and he found that he thought that 3 a.m. was the best gravel sound for my voice and also when my brain was firing. And I think it's because, in my opinion only, that, or maybe not only, but the rest of the world sort of shuts down at nighttime. So there's less mm-hmm. static. And I feel like that there's an overwhelming amount of static for me. It's not like I hear voices, but there's, a, there's like this... First of all, there's no phones ringing. You know, the, everything has sort of calmed down so you could just focus on one thing. When we're focused and we're working, the desire for other dark thoughts or dark passageways that you would normally resort to became channeled into making this record. So the idea of of self-medicating or the idea of, you know, by being confused about who you are, all went away once I'm just with Shooter, our relationship working musically. Because he has he has a, a strangely positive energy, almost like in an innocent way, a childlike way, like uh, the big Lebowski, the dude, in a way. <laughs> you know, that's not saying about his talent. I just mean his personality. It, um, yeah. It would just all, I've never seen him in a bad mood once in my life. I bet people could probably say, I've never seen Manson in a good mood once in my life. <laughs> except maybe you, except you right now. <laughs> this is exactly the opposite. Well, this album will forever be recognized by you and by all of us as being that, that moment. 
where you and Shooter came together, cleared away the static, and were able to find purity of thought. And it's clear on this album. But when you look back on some of those other albums, and I don't know if you do, maybe you don't, maybe you reserve that for fans only. But I do. I listen to your music all the time. And and I wonder when you go back and listen to those records, without a sense of self-judgment, but whether or not you recognize that the person in pain, or the person who's in love, or the person who's heartbroken, and what that feels like as an artist going back and listening to your previous albums over the course of your life and and earmarking them, recognizing the the person who made them and how that makes you feel. Um, Because if you allow yourself to reflect on that, that can be a, a journey back into the previous year. Well, Shooter did do something really important that when we were making the album, he was talking a lot about older records, and I was I was thinking about something different, but it was when we decided to make it, you know, a 10-song a record that has a clear A and B side. I painted the album cover, and I showed it to him, and then the next day we wrote Infinite Darkness, which is first song on side B sixth song. And I never considered using a, a painting like that for an album cover. And it was also the first time I used black in my in the background of my paintings. I usually use white negative space. And that's when I knew where where we were headed, that it was a record. Like the records that we liked growing up listening to, Shooter and I, probably also like what we talked about, you and I liked. And um he uh, he had a he had a great way of producing, in that he just found a way to get me focused completely only on singing, and the words, and the other distractions are just gone. But it was not in a conventional sense or like some sort of sorcery or something like that. I mean, there was in our own way, but it was, uh, it, it made, when we got to that song in the record, that we knew we had to finish it. And we did Broken Needle, like I had mentioned before, Tom Wally. Uh, Tom Wally was the guy who had the smarts to Devilishly put- Devilishly good looking elder gentleman was responsible for many great careers. Mechanical Animals in Times Square. Beautiful man, looks like Pierce Brosnan. He looks like he's going to a yacht or coming from a yacht, always. <laughs> Beautiful man. So true. Beautiful man. Beautiful it's man. So true. Initially, he was not certain about, you know, this this combination between me working with Shooter because of whatever preconceptions he had regarding Shooter and country influence. I think that Shooter's influence in the baselines and the way that he, we developed this really great syncopation rhythm where the vocals would work around the acoustic guitar, which almost was used as a percussion instrument. And Shooter and I, like, I would trust him in a way that I didn't have to like double check what he was doing. And I did play a lot of the tambourine and sleigh bells and things like that only because of my childhood knowledge of percussion but <laughs> it's a little known fact by the way anybody who's watching this that that Manson uh, famously was was brought into a high school band to play the triangle is that that's correct right I'm, I'm yeah. that? ding 
Dang, I don't know, whatever. Pain perfect, point is perfect. So shooter, shooter, there, there's a little skepticism initially, uh, or or not certainty uh, on what the record would sound like. But we recorded the, I would say near entirety of it without playing it to the label, and even my manager, or shooter's manager. So we did what we wanted to do, without the influence of the people who sell the music later. No offense to them, like that, that they're a valuable part of the machine that makes music powerful, especially Tom Moy, because he's always believed in everything that we've done. If it failed, we could take the blame ourselves and we could point a finger at anyone else. And that's why we picked like Spike Stent, for example, to, to mix it because we thought that he could really add something to it. And uh, he did, but we worked with him in the studio. Initially, when we went in, it was, the main point was, if we have this record, we believe in it, can you make it sound better? And he did, and that's what I liked. But for the most part, the the record sounds like what we wanted it to sound like in the beginning, but, but Spike added a greater depth to it. I mean, there's areas that you've you've never gone before. I think you know, in terms of the way the record sounds, I, I've definitely not heard songs, um, you know, like "We Are Chaos" before. Um, I want to talk about uh, "Soul Coagula," uh, which is a, a very, to me, that's one of the most important moments on the record. Where the line finishes, "I'm broken, I'm just broken," but the first line of that, "I'm not line, special, that, I'm just broken," I'm not special, I'm just broken. But see, now, see, "Salve Coagula" is yeah. Latin. It means to break apart, put back together. Right. So, and I got this tattoo a long time ago, and I, I'm glad that you liked that and pointed that record, that song on the record out, because it's a point on the album where it's sort of coming to a conclusion. And I just remember making that and Shooter, me, me trying to get out of him as a co-producer on the record his most Southern moment, but without being, without trying too hard to to do something that isn't him. But so it's very, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't sound Southern. Not at all. It sounds like something that, it's it's almost influenced by Wayne Hussey. It almost has like a very kind of late 80s, early 90s gothic rock feel to it, to me. If that's a compliment, I'll take it. That line, I'm not special, I'm just broken, is if you'd said that in any of your first two or three albums, it would have been a, a chant that 40,000 people would have screamed back at you because it would have been more dressed up like, I'm not special, I'm just broken. And it would be like, ah! But you've stripped all that away and you've, and you've presented that line in a way that it's the way you present that line, which really, really struck me differently this time. I appreciate the comparison. I said it in real life and thought, well, that should be a song. What was the context, if you don't mind me asking? I mean, I'm curious about the human spirit. I'm not sure about the exact context, but someone was just, I don't remember who it was. Uh, it wasn't a loved one. It was just in the context of a, a, a dispute over something, not with Shooter. Someone was telling me that I was special for what I do, and it wasn't someone I knew. And I just... That was my response. I just said offhandedly. 
And Shooter happened to be there next to me because we were, I think we were at a bar or it might have been my birthday. I'm not really sure. It was just a fluid moment of not quite sure what happened, but someone said, and you don't realize how special you are. And I just said, I'm not special. I'm just broken. And then Shooter pointed out to me, that should be a song. See, that that's his his genius producer. His genius is to pick those moments up, those observational moments, yeah. Sometimes he'll write down, because I can't type like a regular person who types. I did the tip, tap, tap kind of way. But if I'm talking, he'll just write down everything. Like whatever I'm saying when we're, when we're working together. And it's it's great because we did that with... Uh, so we're, we want to we want to form more than just music together. We want to do film and, and other other projects that are bigger and beyond just what we're limited to at this point as artists. But uh, it was great working, you know, on the video and doing shit that was not what was expected. First video is completely different in a thousand million ways than the the next one. Don't Chase the Dead, which is with Norman Reedus and my significant other lens of usage. So it's more of a, uh, it's cinematic, but it's not too cinematic to the extent where I don't like music videos that tell stories as much as I like music videos that bring an emotion. You know, I want to talk a bit about music videos. I also want to talk a little bit about some of the cinematic work you've done, especially Sons of Anarchy, because it's ultimately where you and Shooter met. But I just want to go back a bit to the, to that to that moment, and I don't want to I don't want to obsess over it, but it it, it does raise a, a question for me. I've never asked you, which is the idea of self awareness versus a, the aware the, the awareness that others have of you. Now, um, we forget as fans of people that inspire us that we that, that we love that our idea of being inspired and wanting to involve ourselves in your personal being it, it can often be complicated for somebody. I would not say I didn't love myself, but I would say that I was not as happy with myself as I could be. So it's aggravating if you're at an airport or a, you know, these are terms that don't apply to right now, but in the past. I don't think that I ever didn't love myself, but I don't think that I believed in myself at some points as much as I should have. And that's what I think that a lot of people need to hear from me if they like what I do or they believe in me that I've always said this don't be me be yourself but more so believe in yourself don't try to there's no point in life where you can try to be perfect you know because perfect is defined usually by other people you know if you just find yourself as perfect then you're just arrogant and and narcissistic. So, you know, I know that you're perfect, I'm perfect, but that's your opinion and my opinion. <laughs> that's a compliment. I'll take it, but I'm pretty fucking far from perfect. <laughs> well, we all are. No one's perfect. You're right about that, though. It's a construct. As soon as you get into that idea of what is perfect, it's a, it's a, it's a human-created construct in order to sell something, really, is what it is. It is. It is. It's, it's also, it goes back to even... The concept of how America became so destroyed over the past, I don't know, 20 years, since 1984 even, 
where there was this moralization that was not even, it's almost, if it would go into uh, conspiracy theory elements if I started talking about it in the way that I would say things. But the main point is that there's been an underlying theme that when I watched uh, something about Helter Skelter, uh, Charles Manson, a documentary about 1968, it was a new thing that I saw. And it was it was enlightening in that it showed different footage, but it looked very similar to now in the sense that people were struggling for the same reasons, rights, uh, civil rights, equality, things like that. And then, this is before I was born, then you get a, you know, someone like Charles Manson, who's an easy, you know, like an easy villain to pick. And I'm not comparing myself to him in any way. I'm saying that's part of why I chose a name. You took his name, with yeah. Marilyn, but No, but with Marilyn Monroe also. Mm, mm. For the dichotomy of the two, where if she was also known just by her first name, him by his last name, and it just came off the tongue like abracadabra, bippity boppity boo. It's like a magic word in a way, but America really has traditionally used. Uh, other people that they don't like to villainize them to make America seem like the greatest country in the world, the place where all righteousness and all democracy comes from and all greatness. So when I went to Europe for the first time, and even when I met you for the first time, I seemed like some sort of ambassador of intelligence. Like I went to Mensa or I was like this prodigy of genius when, you know, I'm self-taught, but also went to Christian school, it's a really difficult struggle for me that I think that how the record starts with red, black, and blue, it's not really political as much as it is the struggle between being an American and not wanting to be an American because of what it represents, but also trying to make it a better place which is very idealistic and very foolish sometimes. Well, it's interesting that given that it was, it was the original rallying point for you and your creative spirit was to fight against the political system that you felt didn't represent you or the people that, that, that you were trying to appeal to. And yet we are now at a time where politics is, is, is at, at, its, at its most divisive in my lifetime living in this country right now. And and I and I wonder where you how you feel about that given that that was what you rallied against then. I mean, it's a part of me thinks we need a little Manson now. <laughs> well, that maybe that's what this record is meant to be, which without me consciously intending it to be, which then you could say there's some divine intervention. I'm not going to get religion suddenly, in the same way that people would traditionally think of it, but uh, like what you said, in our time, can you imagine what our parents went through and their parents? This entire country has been based on oppression and, and just horrible behavior that built this country. And when people say, you know, forgive, you know, you can't forgive this 
the stake. There's so many more things that this entire country, which I'm a part of, so it's a real struggle to be, am I a spokesperson for it, a a voice of reason, or am I against it? And it's tough for me on a daily basis to like decide, trying to not be religious or political. So the only result is art. That's the only way you could express it. But then that sounds almost like you're not doing anything. But also at the same time, the government, in my belief, often uses political uprising historically from the suffragettes to everything past that to be elements to help them, you know, create their political agenda. And that would go into conspiracy theory. So, but that's just observation. My father was in Vietnam. So, you know, I had to hear, you know, about that when I was a kid. But imagine if we were, I've never, imagine if we were drafted into war, it would be a weird thing. So in some ways, we are we are more fortunate than our fathers, mothers in the past. Yeah, grandparents, for sure. Everything before us, even the beginning of this conversation, is history. Because it happened after the sentence. When I finish the sentence, history. Oh, now you're talking about the moment. Now you're talking about trying to live and, ex- and, ex- and exist in the moment. Yeah, no, for sure. Gone, gone. I get no, it. No, no, no. I don't mean. I don't mean it doesn't count. I just mean that. No. That you can't. That you have to recognize that everything could be manipulated however you want it to be. But I just want to make things more exciting and distract. I guess distract is a good word from the chaos of what's going on in the world. But I don't know. Being a person who is who has declared themselves chaos in the past? Yeah, that it that it that it that, it's, that it works perfectly. But I think that that's the only way. It's like putting out fire with gasoline, sort of idea. That you have to be what you're fighting against, or you can't fight it. Okay, so with that in, with that in mind, the idea of you being the chaos, recognizing that through this record, but trying to inspire people to build something that's positive through that, what is at the other end of that? Right, some semblance of peace. What is what is your what is your relationship like with the concept of peace? As someone who has lived in chaos as long as I've known you and been a fan of you, I felt like chaos has followed you, or you've led it, one or the other. Flip a coin. But has the world ever been at peace? No, but I'm speaking specifically about your role in, in my lifetime toward that. Okay. You've used the system, and I think probably at times, and maybe you can clear this point up, the system's probably used you as well, right? As the villain, or maybe they've, they've, they've thrown success at you to try to quieten your voice down. Have you felt that? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think that it's a good time for people to try to become aware of the repercussions of their actions more than anything across the board, musically, artistically, humanly, criminally, whatever way you want, driving, whatever it is. You just have to fucking realize that you're not the center of the universe and you have to be a part of this. But doesn't mean that I'm suddenly becoming soft or someone that's like, I'm not going to stand up for what I believe in. 
But I never not believed in peace. I've always believed in, I don't want this world the way it is to continue because I think it's fucking deplorable. So I'd rather see it come to an end. But hopefully with art, I can make it better. That's where I was at with Antichrist Superstar. Was we are chaos. I think I tried to say it a little bit more delicately, rather than in a directly in your face sort of way. Obviously, with the titles difference, but I think ultimately peace has to come from within. And I'm not a guru. I'm not religious, but I do believe in what's in your head. That that's all you got is what's in your head. And you have to take responsibility for what you, what you do, but not what you think. You should be allowed to think what you want. You should never censor your thoughts. But what about your heart? Do you trust that? I mean, you've you've tried marriage before. You're you're now in a, what, what I can see from the timeline is is a is a been a relatively long term relationship, um, and you know, yeah, and you've spoken about her really fondly, and she's in the, the arts as well, so you have that in common. So. How does that play into your, into your, into your artistic spirit and into what inspires you? Because I know that you like the idea of that, right? I like the idea of romance, but not romance in the traditional sense of like a flower and going to a dinner, and you know, like The Bachelor or some bullshit like that. I idealize the concept of romance in the Shakespearean way. What I took from it was to try to have romance prevail over the hatred or the or the evil or the oppressing forces of that. So I always think in a romantic sense and about the world, which you have to remember, obviously, for both of us, the world is comprised of all the people we don't know. You and I know each other. So that's different. People with know each other. So when I go on stage and I sing, I'm singing to people I don't know. And I'm not really sure if I'm going to do that because I want to share my feelings with them. But it is my awkward way of dealing with not being able to talk to people in real life, but which I've sort of overcome in a way. It doesn't mean that I don't want to perform. It just means that I've learned to talk to people that I'm friends with in a more open way. We're talking. This is an interview, obviously, but we're actually talking because we're we've known each other, but we're not putting on a show. You know, I was speaking to someone the other day about the artistic journey and how it starts from a place of something being unfulfilled. And that in the puzzle of life, and everybody experiences this, but the artistic journey is is specific to a, a piece of the puzzle that is missing. And to some degree, that that whole journey begins in a search for what is that thing that's missing? Like, what wasn't there that made me want to go and appeal to people, to be loved by people, to be um, satisfied by, by feedback and, and being told I'm great, and, and also to express yourself? Now you've made this album, which, as I said, is an album of real growth for me as a fan of yours. Are you any closer to identifying what that piece is that inspired you to want to be an artist in the first place? 
the sarcastic response would be, maybe I wasn't breastfed as a child, but I mean, but the deeper response would probably be um, a metaphorical version of that, that I wasn't, I didn't fit in in the way that I expected to. And a lot of times people will take that out in anger. And I, I found, luckily I found a way to take it out with art. Because everyone feels rejected. There's no one that feel, no one's grown up with a happy life. If they have, I'd love to meet them. And I probably wouldn't like them. I'd probably punch them in the face. <laughs> if they were like, hey, yeah, my life was perfect. I've not anymore. But without impunity, I would have someone else do it for me. These are all jokes. Just have that on the record in the event that I get arrested for it. But essentially, essentially, no one's no one no one's grown up happy to the sense where they could say that. And it would it wouldn't make me mad actually in the reverse sense. Like I would be happy for someone who is yeah, I had a normal childhood because some people have. But not, I don't think that without scars, emotional and physical, and just in general, you can't really find yourself. And it doesn't mean that you should want to have scars. It's just that the people who have gone through the hardest points in their life growing up tend to often be people I'm friends with or people that I find to be great artists. And they don't always talk about it, which I don't feel the need to like get into specifics about it other than the fact that no one's grown up happy, but... You know, there's things that change. And then later in life, you go through changes where you lose family. You have to deal with mortality and you have to deal with the idea of growing up. But when you're a kid that doesn't want to grow up, when your Peter Pan mentality takes over, then you're in a position where, you know, you're, you have to make something like this record where it sort of explores being caught between these two worlds. So my last question for this particular conversation is, who are you singing about when you say, I'll never play you again? Myself. Yeah, I wrote, that, I wrote those lyrics uh, about 10 years ago. And I found them on, a, on pieces of construction paper, which is uh, colored paper that you write with crayons when you're in school. I happen to have like a a small notebook of it, and I found just the one lyric about Broken Needle, and I expanded on it, but I think I'll Never Play You Again is meant to be a statement. I, I That's, you, you know, you really cut to the chase with that one because you like that song. But it's not about any person in particular as much as it's about me. So it's not it's not aimed at someone as much as I think it's aimed at me. So it's almost it's almost my own it's it's almost my time it's almost my 
my frame of mind where I'm thinking, why do I keep doing this same fucking thing over and over again? And that's why I like that the record skips. It's because it's a lesson for me. See, like you just said, you don't want to do this and you're doing it again. So it's a reminder for me to stop repeating stupid behavior because it's the very definition of insanity. So, which isn't a bad thing, but it's something you have to with I'm not insane I'm just interesting <laughs> high five in the air love you man love you man love you too there you go I hope you have a better understanding about who Marilyn Manson is as a human being and not just as a character or a figure for love or hate uh, but actually as a person who's walking this earth and trying to find his way just like the rest of us feel free to add a review please and if you're enjoying these conversations then hit the subscribe button we'll be back very soon with another one thanks for taking the time I know it's precious until next time take care